whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn, playwright, filmmaker, and professor of communications at American University. And each episode, we invite someone from the theater who you'd see on stage, backstage, or in the house to discuss an original cast album they love. And today, we're joined by the artistic director of Field Trip Theater in the District, artistic and casting coordinator at Imagination Stage in Bethesda, and proud alumnus of Emerson College, it's Nick Vargas, everybody. So I've been promoted, Patrick. You've been promoted? Oh, wow. So I'm the casting director and artistic associate now. Oh, at Imagination Stage. So that's just a plug for everybody to know that I'm a big man on campus. All right. That's good. And what a campus it is. It's quite a campus. Is that after you beat me for best director at the play in a day? Oh, yeah. Now that's on my title, too. On my business cards, we reprinted them. (laughs) I mean, I hand out probably 10 a year, so I need another 500 just for that. All right. And you chose a show I've seen. This is I saw this this very production. Yes. This is so rare. You tell the people what you chose. Uh, so it's the 2002 revival of Man of La Mancha. I am I, Don Quixote, the Lord of La Mancha. My destiny calls and I go. Brian Stokes Mitchell, Elizabeth Mastriantonio. Very close. Very close. <laughs> She'll appreciate it. Mary Elizabeth Mastriantonio. Mary Elizabeth Mastriantonio. Yeah. Such a long name. It is. And Ernie Sabella. Yes. Who, Mr. Carosi to me and Pumbaa to most other people. Yes. He's a man of many, well, one hat probably. Right. But, but it's a pretty funny hat. It's a pretty funny hat. It's a pretty funny hat. Yeah. yeah it is. It is a, that's a, that was when we saw it. My wife and I went to see it. She was living in New York, and we just stood online at TKTS and got, you know, whatever was available when we got to the front of the line. And she was so excited when she saw him in the playbell. She kept saying, it's Mr. Carosi. I was like, sure, okay, because I never watched Say by the Bell. So she was excited by that. Yeah, yeah. I also saw him in Sweet Charity after that with Christina Applegate. Oh, I didn't realize he was in that. Yeah, I know he... he was in Guys and Dolls with Nathan Lane in the 90s. Mm-hmm. No, he played but... the owner of the club. Sure, that's the part he'd play. Right, and he's saying the I love to cry at weddings. The oh, actor. okay, yeah. I got you. And then I think I also saw him in Curtains, and he dies in Was that. he in Curtains? I don't know. Well, someone else, someone similar. We can look that up. They can look that up. Was he in Curtains? It's a good question. Because I saw Curtains, too. And I know exactly the character. The guy who dies at the end of Act 1 is who you're thinking of, I assume. Mm-hmm. He was. He was Sidney Bernstein. I just remember because he's such a large man, and they he gets he gets hung, hung, and yeah. they're like, pull him right like, up. Oh my gosh, how'd they get that large man up? That's a fun show. Yeah, curtains is a fun show. Yeah, not a great show, but a fun show. I think it would be good for DC. Yeah, someone should do that. I, that's a show I'd like to see. If I if I saw a high school was doing it, I would go see it. Like I think that that's one because it's a show that doesn't get done a lot, and I and I think that it's a good. It could be a really good high school. Yeah, show. it's fun. It's not at the level of um, forum, but it, it's just it's just it's a good kind of campy new ish musical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. it is very fun and very, but it is in that interesting group of musicals that came out, the kind of post Avenue Q pre Book of Mormon thing, mm-hmm. where every show had to be about putting on a show. That was the only way you, right. your, your musical was going to get produced. Right. 
And it has a much more organic way of doing that than a lot of shows did, but right. it is still... Well, I think I was living in Boston at the time, so anything that had Boston uh, in it yes. or was related to Boston, I was like, oh, I know that. Oh, yeah. I, right. I, I walk those streets, you know? <laughs> and so that was fun to be able to say that. I've seen Boston Policemen from the 40s or whenever it takes place. The Departed a lot just because I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I work right there, yeah. Even though that was shot in New York. Right. Not all of it. Not all of it, but... Most Big, of it. Most of it. Yeah. <laughs> Shot in New York. Well, yeah. But hey, you know. Anyway. It's all in Where did we come? But we're here to talk about Man of La Mancha. So, mm. you, so you saw this show before you had the CD, I'm going to guess. Is that right? Yes. Okay. I think I saw it either, I'm pretty sure I saw it pre-Tonys. Because he would have sang yeah. the Tonys, right? Yeah. He would have to imagine he did. But maybe I saw it directly after. I had a tendency of like watching the Tony Awards with my parents and then forcing that me to take them to take me to see the shows directly thereafter. Oh, okay. Because um, I lived in Connecticut or grew up in Connecticut. Okay. So um, that was possible. So that was possible. Mm-hmm. So at the time, I was like, oh, let's just get on the train. Um, what did you see that way? Assassins with Neil Patrick Harris. Oh, wow. We saw okay. they did the... Um, end of act one number I think on the Tonys and they were then they announced like the next day that they were closing because they didn't win best revival right and so I was like oh well let's go that weekend and so we got cheap tickets or I'm going to use air quotes right, right here for our podcast Broadway listeners Broadway cheap tickets yes yeah, um, which is not cheap cheap tickets we bought them online and like we sat at Studio 54 and oh, okay. we didn't know anything about the show other than we liked that number and God only knows oh. my mom probably wouldn't have decided to take me even though I was you know, of you? age a teenager okay um, a young adolescent. Um, but it was a, a good experience, and I'm glad I got to see the closing of that. And then we also saw Chorus Line, um, with the Mario, revival. Right. With, with Mario Lopez? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's not one of my finer moments, but sure. to be there when they're singing about, um, you know, losing their jobs, and they, they're actually about to all lose their jobs. I mean, right. I'm sure some of them had gigs lined up. but right. Yeah. Who did Mario Lopez play? Was he the director? Yes. He was Zach. Okay. And he luckily stood in off stage and yelled the at stage. everyone. Right. So yeah. that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then in the finale, when they're all dancing, he comes back on, but he like slips him right. in they at the like in. last two refrains, so he doesn't do, have to do too much <laughs> dancing. It's such a weird show to put stunt casting in because it is an anti-star. Well, I don't think show. it sold tickets because he was I don't in think it. I did either. But it was just something for him to say, oh, I'm about they to. They had a big, I was in New York whenever that was, and they had a big sign hanging from the market. I, I don't know if it was at the Richard Rogers. It was on one of the 46th Street Theaters, mm-hmm. though, and they had a big sign hanging from the market. It was like, now with Mario Lopez. And, and everyone's I, like, who cares? Great. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. If you're not going to go see Chorus Line already, I don't think Mario Lopez is going to be the. I'm sure he brought in some people, but I think he just won Dancing with the Stars, so he was coming off of that. Okay. And. Coming back into mainstream media. It's such a tricky, such a tricky needle to thread that tourist audience for revivals, especially. Yeah. Because you, you never, I mean, my God, you just don't know. I mean, well, that show is not a com- commercial theater piece, I don't think. Well, I mean, it I think is. it's well known and his, like. Except that it was the longest running show in Broadway history for. Like 10 years almost. But you know, if you look 80s. at what's on Broadway now, it's not... I mean, things that That's are right. lasting was, have had a very successful movie. That's a good point. Or they're very commercial and they play to all ages, you know? That is true. Chorus Line is not a family 
It's right. not a family show. I just saw Wicked hit $1 billion in ticket oh sales. Gosh. Broadway alone. Uh, why does that make... It doesn't... I like Wicked. Fine. It's fine. I shouldn't say I like Wicked. It's fine. Um, I mean, the day that the DC like regional thing gets yeah. ahead of that, then that would... Or gets a hold of that. Yeah. Oh, it's gonna be I can't wait to see Signature's production. <laughs> of Wicked? <laughs> I don't know how I they'll flyer, gonna, but maybe gonna, Ford's would do it. I was going to say, I don't think... Sig- Signature will do it someday, obviously, but I don't think that's high on their. Yeah, I mean, maybe they. It's would. not their. But I, I would be interested. Just, I love what they. How I don't want to transform their space. So if they could pull, right. off, they decide to put Wicked on there in ten years, whenever it becomes available. Yeah, I, I don't want to say it's not. Yeah, too snooty is probably the wrong word. It's just a kind of com- currently perceived as a commercial kind of musical, and I think unfairly right. derided artistically. I, I remember a friend of mine told the story of. She was at Northwestern um, right around the time that show opened, and Jason Robert Brown came to speak to all the music theater students at Northwestern, mm-hmm. and her sister just happened to be visiting that weekend. And he made some kind of comment, and she, the, the younger sister, said something about liking Wicked, like, out loud in this theater, and, like, the embarrassment that the other sister felt and the shame that was passed through the room. I think that's a little bit much, personally. Um, but it is kind of viewed as that kind of show I think it's well on, I think it is that be- side yeah it's because of the length of the run and the I mean the inability for freshness do you know like you know how many directors are out there that probably want to get their hands on that it is a good script and yeah. I think it's a great um, piece of musical theater but it's been running forever and right. you can't no one's can do anything different with it so the day that someone can get it even if it's a high school there will be a point though where it's run long enough where they will release it I would imagine because they do that with. I mean, how far does that have to go though? Because they do it with. I was going to say, a long time. Yeah, it would have to run for a really long time before they do that, wouldn't it? Yeah, because it still tours. And, and they have like well. regional productions in different cities, right? Is it? Yeah, they have a residency city. I think it, it was. If it's not or Vegas going. or something like that, I don't know. I don't know if it's going in Vegas, though. It certainly will at some point. Yeah, go to Vegas. Yeah, no, Wicked. Just, I mean, Wicked, and it's Wicked and Lion King. I mean, those are the two. Yeah, and and then on the other side of the coin, Chicago, <laughs> still killing it. On, right, on New York. But they've closed a couple times, and then they're like, oh wait, come well, on. They've moved. They keep moving. They, they haven't actually closed. Oh. They are currently the second longest running show on Broadway, in Broadway history, period. And they're still running. Of course, they're behind Phantom, which right. God knows will never close. Um, but, yeah, they've moved town. I saw them. I saw that production of Chicago. How can it be that production at this point? Because it's so many different casts. I mean, although I think... Have you seen it, though? No. Because it's pretty... To be that production of Chicago, really all you need is the band on stage on a riser and everybody's in tuxedos. I mean, it's and, and those fishnet kind of right. outfits. Like I mean, I guess what... when you put a new star vehicle, it doesn't matter. They have to do the same choreography. and Right. Blah, and it blah, is. Blah. And it's the same... It's even the same choreography from the 76 production of mm-hmm. it because it's Anne Ranking choreographing off of Bob Fosse's original choreography. So mm-hmm. it's... It's pretty, pretty original. Yeah. But yeah, I saw, um, I saw Tay Diggs play Billy Flynn in that in Chicago. And you wanted your money back. No, I liked it. I liked him anyway. He's fun. And yeah. then he was in the movie as the piano player. That's true. Which is pretty funny. He's not bad. Yeah. I like Tay Diggs. Yeah. Yeah. And Indita Menzel's in Wicked. And they used to be married. Which brings us back to Man of La Mancha. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> so Man of La Mancha. So you did see it. So, you, so either pre or post Tony's. You saw it before you had the CD, you would think? Um, I'm going to say no. I think I okay. had the CD first. Because I have a feeling I saw it in 2003, but I don't think it ran that long, it says. It didn't. It, it, so I definitely saw it in 2002 then. 
Well, no, you didn't. You probably saw it in 2003 because it opened oh. December 5th, 2002 and closed August 31st, 2003. So Great. I imagine. So I saw it. So I then I definitely saw it before because it was the winter of 2003. Okay, so this is like January, February. Yeah. So it was pre Tony's, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's when I saw it too. I would have to say now that you said you mentioned that. I yeah. Around the same and then time. I'm, I'm the the album was out, the cast recording. Yeah, I'm sure when it came I out. bought it at the at the at the booth. I bought it at the theater. I bought the cast recording uh, at the theater. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure. Wow. If it was, and that, this is all lies, I'm sure. So I don't know. But I was there, and I've listened to it <laughs> ever since. So I don't know. Well, this was this was the show you picked, though. When I said, yeah, this was the sh- like when I asked this question, and as somebody who sounds like you've had a lot, so do you had a lot of theater experience? As yeah. A kid? So I, mean, I started doing uh, theater in elementary school and like town theater as an actor. Like everyone starts because there's no other there's options. else to start, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and for the longest time, I thought I should be a performer. Um, and then when college told me, no, Nick, you should not be a performer, I was like, great, what next? <laughs> right. um, but no, so I I was even in a production of Man of La Mancha when I was in 10th grade, when I was oh, okay. a sophomore in high school, sophomore or junior in high school, and I played the Padre. And I was, oh. a, yeah, I was a bigger That's a good part. kid back then. Um, and the reason, so this was at a local JCC, and I'm not Jewish. But my high school was going through some um, changes within our faculty structure who was advising us. Okay. So our longtime advisor, she took stepped aside to do local community theater because you can't do both. Or she didn't have time to do right. both. Yeah. Um, and so our English teacher, who was always the producer, and then this Spanish teacher got on board. And the Spanish oh, okay. teacher had only directed a version of Oliver once. And so we were yet again going, we were going to do Oliver for our, our <laughs> musical for that year. And I was cast as um, Mr. Sourberry, I think. And we got to like five rehearsals and it was a mess and no one knew what they were doing. And so the students, we kind of had an uprising and said like, this isn't working. And at that point I had auditioned for this outside production of Man of La Mancha and Oliver was canceled and I went and continued my rehearsals with Wow. Yeah, the JCC that was just around the corner in West Hartford. Wow. Yeah. So there was, it was a tumultuous time. Sure. Um, but anyway, so I wanted to be Don Quixote, and I was like, who else could pull this off? Because I'm tall, I have a killer voice, and this is <laughs> Connecticut, right? What else do you need? But unfortunately, there was a better actor for the part, and he got cast. Uh-huh. Um, so although I was like, were you a baritone? I, I, the right? Yeah, sure. I mean, I can hit pretty low notes. I bass baritone. Sure. If I needed. But then in tenth grade, I mean, you were. Yeah, yeah. I w- I don't a very wide range. Okay. As I grew older, I could. Do I mean, more. baritone in high school is a relative term. Obviously. Right, it, right, it's, right, it, yeah, right. It's, it, and everybody's in high school, so. Right, right, yeah. right. Um, yeah. So, I'll, but this was post. Um, seeing Brian Stokes. Okay, so this is after you'd already seen it. Yeah. So, but you, you mean you had or Stokes as he likes Stokes, to be called. Yes, as, yeah. as we, that's what he's known in our house. Mm-hmm. My, my wife loves him. Um, he, so you, but you have extensive theatrical experience. It sounds like I mean, just from watching the Tonys with your parents and going to see shows mm-hmm. a lot. Okay. Yeah. So what was it about this show when you saw it that struck? How old are you? Would you get estimate when you saw it? It was a rough number. 2002? Yeah. I was probably like 13. Okay. 
So that's formative. <laughs> Were you born in 1990? No. 1989? 88. Okay. What was that? So you were... 14? Um, four, hang on. 13. <laughs> no, 13 would be 15. You're closer to... 14 to 15. 14 to 15. 14 to 15. Yeah. An age that's not yet to be determined. Right, yeah. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah, so, and I had, we'd been going to New York to see things, um, mm-hmm. not o- often, but right. we could get to, get on the train and go down and see stuff. And my grandmother, I went to regional stuff in Connecticut. Um, the Bushnell was a big performing oh, arts okay. center. Um, I didn't go to a lot of things like the Good Speed, which I should have if I had known. But right. um, yeah, there was a bunch, and some other tours that came into town. Um, and then doing high school productions. And, yeah. Sure. So what was it about Man of La Mancha, though? Because like I say, when I asked you what show you wanted to do, you, you didn't hesitate. And no, I assumed no. you meant the original no. cast recording, not the revival. Yeah, well, we didn't. I wish I had known about that prior to. But like once you hear Stokes, I feel like you can't. I mean, yeah, R- Richard Kiley and who was that? Oh, he's not the original, original. But yeah, he's the original, oh. original. Well, I mean, for me, it's just as a young baritone singer, you know, I was like, he's just his voice number mm-hmm. one is something that's just amazing um, and something that I could just, you know, aspire to be. And then just the songs of the show, you know, I think they all have such a wonderful message. I mean, just the impossible dream itself, like I could listen to that 10 times over. The dream, the impossible dream to fight the unbeatable foe to bear with unbearable sorrow To run where the brave dare not go This is my quest To follow that star No matter how hopeless No matter how far To fight for the right Without question or pause To be willing to march into hell For a heavenly cause Because I think just the lyrics of the show, not even the musical, but the lyrics mm-hmm. of the piece for every song are really pretty clear and they're very poetic and they don't mess around with nonsense, you know? Everything has a purpose. Everything is written to tell the story. And that's what I like. And some of my favorite musicals, they just have to be story-based, you mm-hmm. know. And hopefully most of the story can come through song. And I think that does this does okay. that very well. Yeah, that's interesting you point that out. That is, that is, that is very true. It is a very – because this is a show within a show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not – it is mistakenly, to, to me anyway, often it, – it's not based on Don Quixote. It is based on a play called I, Don Quixote by Dale Wasserman. Which is a which is the conceit of the show that mm-hmm. Cervantes is thrown into prison and sort of performs this show the story he's written right. with the prisoners and then kind of makes up the ending on the spot mm-hmm. and wins he doesn't win his freedom but he wins the respect of the prisoners I guess is kind of how it ends but it's not really and it certainly has scenes and things from him it's got him tilting at windmills and all that sort of right. stuff that you need but it is not it's sort of mistakenly thought of as the musical version of Don Quixote which it is not it doesn't go into all the sort of the depth of Don Quixote no but I mean so one of the things I remembered you know in preparation for this podcast mm-hmm. um, was just learning about Don Quixote in school 
Okay. I think I was first introduced. Um, gosh, I, I'm vaguely recalling like some sort of elementary school classroom where there was just post like when we took like a preliminary or maybe it was middle school of when, like our Spanish teacher briefly brought it up in like the stories of mm. that and just that. So I that character, mm-hmm. even though the st- stories don't stick with me very often, you know, right. He's always kind of been there mm-hmm. as, and that idea that the play kind of jumps off of mm-hmm. has some been like, you know, something I've been carrying in my back pocket for a long time is like, oh, this is interesting. And yeah, there's a lot there. There is a lot to appeal to sort of an adolescent. I mean, all ages, as you say, but specifically an adolescent mind to me of, of a character who is in a situation he does not control, sort of lying his way out of it, which is appealing. But on like earnestly and honestly, he tells this story about a man who is delusional, and then there's that great thing we love, especially as as teenagers, or is he? I mean, I think that's something right. we find very appealing, that sort of, like, who is crazy? Right. That kind of Star Wars quote, who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it, that's the... Yeah. There's something very appealing about that to a young... Specifically someone who's young and, and, and a performer. Yeah. That sort of, what is madness? That very, you know, something we really, really like. And I think it's why you, you find yourself as a high school student attracted to things like that. I think it's one of the reasons a lot of high school kids are into the doors. Like, it's just, you mm-hmm. know, it, it's sort of like, what are, what, are, what are we doing and what is it? And it's just is what, it, you know, it's a sort of, there's no que- there's no answers there. It's just questions. Right. But that's really all you have at that age. Yeah, and I mean, it, and again, from a purely just like, it's very theatrical, right? And it's a mm-hmm. very simple story. Like, the characters have clear objectives. They have clear wants. And I think it's just a great, you know, piece of, theater to study Mm -hmm. um, because of that you know there's it's not super complicated about what's happening although there are lots of heavy blurring I mean there's a lot of the reality of the show within the show does kind of start to take over and ultimately I think does sort of take over at the end in in a lot of ways with um, I mean you have characters falling in on themselves in such a funny way as you say the character of Aldonza who is really a, a scullery wench in the prison, then plays the character of Aldanza in the story who Don Quixote thinks is Dulcinea. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the story, when Don Quixote dies, she tells Sancho, Don Quixote is not dead. Believe, Sancho. Believe. Aldanza. My name is Dulcinea. And it's not really clear in that moment who's speaking. Like, is Aldanza speaking? Well, the end is very unclear. Yeah. Yes, I agree with that. I think the everything else, I mean, when Shakespeare Theatre Company did the production this past, like in March or something of last year, mm-hmm. I was able to see it twice. Oh, okay. I we, weaseled wow. my way in there. Look at you. Um, because, you know, I just needed to do that, right? And mm-hmm. how often do you get to see someone of Anthony Warlow's... Right, caliber. Caliber pull off that role, yeah. you know, and the rest of the cast was and outstanding. Really, but I mean, to go back to the point about the blurring, like, you know, my teenage mind would say yes and agree with you. Cause, but I think after seeing it recently with new fresh mm-hmm. eyes and twice with the same company for the most part, I was like, N- I can, yeah, it's a choice based off the director and the cast. Um, and it doesn't have to be blurry about who's doing what, except I think definitely that final moment of, when he's leaving, you know, yeah, 
who's singing that song? Right. Is it the prisoners or is it the characters or is it somebody else? Right. Know? It is a very, yeah. It's a spooky And that's album. really wonderful, you yeah. know? And it's happy. I mean, we don't know where, I mean, we have an idea of what's about to happen to them. Um, mm-hmm. But what does he come away with that makes it okay to be, you know, happy, sad, you know, why, what is that emotion you have at the end and why is it okay? Because he's been able to tell this story. Right. And it, but yeah, and, and what's funny about it to me is that you would expect the ending to be once he tells the story that he escapes right. prison, but that isn't what actually happens. What or actually happens is the prisoners kind of don't destroy all his possessions and kill him. I right. mean, it's kind of now he has to go face something far worse. The, the, um, the Inquisition. The Inquisition. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Um, and God knows what's going to happen to him there. Now, I mean, we know Cervantes gets out of it, but it is that. You know, he, he's only survived this hell to then endure right. another. And one much less forgiving. Right. Is the sort he of, won't be able to spin a tail. No, know? certainly not. He's going to have to answer some questions. And yeah. they're going to like his answers or they're not. Right. And they probably already decided that before he walked in the room. Yeah, that's no question. Yeah. So it is It is a funny, a man is thrown into prison and has to sort of just fight to survive the prison. And he, he does. Mm-hmm. Much in the same way, I think, that the funny mirroring of Quixote is that Quixote fights, you know, gives into his madness and fights for the, this view of the world that isn't true. But in the end, he makes it so he makes it so, but then he dies. Like he doesn't then get to live in that world. He dies and passes that world on to another character. He passes it on to Aldanza and, and not to Sancho. It should be known. I mean, Sancho is not the sort of enlightened, surrogate for his ideas. Right. His, they go to the cynic. They go to Aldanza. Yeah, I think Sancho doesn't have the... Um, he's a person that doesn't have the capacity. He wants to believe, but he doesn't know how to believe, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't... He's in that middle ground of not being cynical enough or not being, you know... Yeah. Hopeful enough. I mean, he defends him, and he goes along with it right up to the point... Because he of, respects the man, you know? Right. But not necessarily... But he likes him. I mean, he says this, that the whole... I, I think it really isn't yeah. much more complicated than that for him. He like, And he, I think Sancho likes how Quixote makes him feel. Right. He treats him like a squire. He treats him with respect. Which, which is better is, than his wife treats right. him. Right. Better than else. anybody treats him. I mean, Sancho just is sort of... Is, is just on for the ride. It's mm-hmm. the Padre and, and Aldanza who really have the, the interesting experience to me with with Quixote and what he's actually wrestling with. Right. And the Padre is the fascinating character to me hmm. because you would expect him to be very anti-Quixote's right. fantasies, especially because it's written by a character we know who's currently in the Inquisition and would probably not have the best attitude towards the church. But the character of the Padre is the most sort of like, well, whatever, like he's happy. Eh, who cares? And he, the Padre spins a lot of tales. and Right, like what it's not own. hurting anyone else. I mean... Yeah, you right. know, and he he's happy, and he's, but he's also the one who convinces because the it's the fiance his yeah. who wants to have Quixote thrown in jail, and he kind of convinces him, no, no, if you cure him, you're the best. It's he really gives him this like fast talking like little because well, he's a doctor pitch. and he's trying to keep his um, his station in life, right? And he's trying to move up in the ranks of their small province or whatever it is, and yeah. But I, the Padre is older and wiser, and he's seen crazy yeah. men come and go, and what harm have they done? Right. You know? 
And it was played in the production that we both saw with by Mark Jacoby, who oh. is a really good performer. Not not a, someone who gets a lot of credit, but he was in, he was the father in Ragtime. Mm-hmm. Um, he was uh, in the Michael Severus revival of Sweeney Todd. He the original played, Ragtime or the most recent? The original Ragtime. Yeah. He was the father, and then in the Se- Severus Sweeney Todd, he was the judge. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did a turn as the Phantom at some point. I, th- I think my research has indicated in the early nineties. Yeah, um, he's great. He's a very distinctive. Voice is a, oh yeah a very very distinctive. Now that voice. you say that, I hear it on the, yeah, the, the ragtime recording. Yes, it's mm-hmm. very very distinctive style of singing, and but suits very well to the various parts that I've I've heard him yeah do. No, he's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So you saw the show, and I saw the show at the then Martin Beck, now Al Hirschfeld Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, in its that ran for three hundred and four performances, which is surprising when I looked at it up today. I was like, yeah. "That's it." Yeah, but I think it was December to August. It didn't win the Tonys. It didn't win any Tonys. And when you don't win a revival Tony, and you're or an acting, t- I mean, if, I think if Stokes true. had won Best Actor, but what else was it up against? Do you know? It, yes, I do. It um, it lost uh, Best Revival to Nine, the Mari Eston. I know. Yeah, I roll over on my side too. Um, and Stokes and Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, who were both nominated, lost to Harvey, Harvey Firestein and oh. Marissa Jarrett-Wincor for Hairspray, Hairspray, right, which was the phenomenon at the moment. Yeah, that's hard. It's also being at the, well, I'm just going to call it the Hirschfeld. It, it's not on the main drag of theaters. It mm-hmm. is off the beaten path, so it doesn't get the foot traffic. Right. But it is, the Hirschfeld is kind of a, a revival house in a lot of ways. I mean, Kinky Boots is there now, but it, mm-hmm. it, it, it had uh, the How to Succeed revival not too long ago. It, it, it seems to get a lot of revivals. I think I saw Wonderful Town there, too. Yeah, another revival. So it's, right. that's... With Brooke Shields, everybody. Oh. Although... So after Brooke Shields joined the cast. She's fun. I'm just going to say that out loud. Oh, yeah? She's fun. She's fun? Yeah. That's all I have to was say. It, was Donna Murphy still in it, or did she replace Donna Murphy? Who did Brooke Shields replace? The lead. Then, Donna, then, well, was she blonde or brunette? Brunette. Okay, then she replaced Donna Murphy. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it was still fun. It was yeah, good. Right. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. a fun show. Yes, I mean, this wonderful is town a really is, a, is a fun show. I actually love that show a lot too. Yeah, I like it. Um, one of Bernstein's New York but shows. I remember exactly where I was sitting for Man of the Manchester. Well, that's too. what I wanted to ask you. Where were you sitting? I was in the balcony. Okay, so there was very steep angle, and as someone who is not a fan of heights, that was. Um, mm. But we weren't. We might have been way in the back. I can't exactly remember. Well, if you just bought your tickets online. Were we in the yeah. balcony, though? Now I'm... Shoot. So here's... So, well, this is the way you can tell. So we went to TKTS. Because I'm now wondering, did I see him go all the way up? And I don't know if I did. This is the so question I might I have been underneath you. the... So we, that's where my wife and I sat. We sat rear orchestra. Right. Partially obstructive view as it was billed. Yeah. Probably what we did. And the show... What, the set for the show was... Tall, right? Was as a, most of them have, right? But it yeah. was a very tall because the Hirschfeld is a very tall theater. Mm-hmm. It's a very it's a specifically tall stage. So I remember when we saw how to succeed there. We sat in the balcony. And it, was, it was a very tall mm-hmm. set. Um, but because it was so tall, we couldn't see the upper levels of the prison where a good amount of the show takes place. So we didn't have any idea what was going on. That's why I there. think that's I why I asked you where you were sitting. Yeah, no, I do think I sat up in the balcony. Okay. So you did see him climb. I'm pretty sure. Because he went like four they go, the way that they set was high. designed, he he went up like six steps or whatever it was, and then he was yeah. gone. Like I, we couldn't see anything. 
Yeah. And it was kind of unclear because all the actors are just standing there watching him. Right. There's nothing to see if you're sitting in that bit. So I mean, it doesn't matter. And now I'm now I'm grappling over where I sat, but it, it's I already <laughs> sat there and it just, we're over. It's already happened. As I remember it, there was not only the balcony problem, but there was there there was a pole near us that Probably. was the actual partially obstructive view. Yeah. There's a yeah. Hmm, Broadway Certain theaters, Broadway houses man. are like, yeah. You can't sell those, but then they do, and you're just yeah. gonna deal with it. You wanted so you saw the show. You wanted to play. Don Quixote. Oh yeah, yes, dream role. The, to this day, to if this someone day. wants to cast me, I'm ready to go. <laughs> so what is what is your favorite uh, song? Um, I mean, uh, the Impossible Dream. You know, it's probably okay. right. Sure, great. Yeah, I don't know. Period. No, I, that, I think that would be it. <laughs> Obviously, the first song. That's a lot of fun. I mean, those two would be the top two that I'd want to sing today, mm-hmm. right now. But right. I think any of the songs in there, for the most part, are really strong. For the most part, like solo, you know, vehicles for people mm-hmm. or at least small groups. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to me that you, you sounded like you were so inspired when you saw it. Yeah. Um, because I must confess at this point that my wife and I walked out of there kind of being like, eh. Yeah. Now, I was 23, 22 mm-hmm. or 23. So I was older and more cynical than you were. And the 20s. I don't know about the cynical thing. Well. I mean, maybe I was Hopefully cynical. I was more cynical than, than 14-year-old you yes. at 22. But I... We kind of, and I think part of it was the expectation of seeing Brian Stokes Mitchell, who was great, but the supporting cast was kind of less than. I mean, with the exception of Mark Jacoby and Ernie Sabella, it was kind of a yeah, Elizabeth, no, yeah, Mary Elizabeth, Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio, yeah, she of uh, lots of movies. I mean, she's in The Abyss and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and the yeah, I mean, acting, no, Mm -hmm. no complaint. Vocally, she seemed a little tired that day. Okay. Um, and that song requires such vocal yeah. prowess that I don't think she necessarily had on the performance day or on the day they recorded the album, or maybe ever. I don't know. Oh, I have seen too many but I have too little rest, and I have loved too many sure she's a wonderful singer right um in another capacity i remember thinking it was odd i remember liking her performance but kind of thinking it was odd casting yeah and definitely stunt casting i mean they definitely thought well, her that, name would bring people to the theater but i have i mean i didn't know who she was but right. my parents knew who she was yeah. which was interesting but all the movies i just listed not all of them uh fairly but ne- perfect storm would have been about 2000 but like the abyss and robin hood Men- and robin hood Menatites, robin hood <laughs> prince of thieves are early 90s movies and here we are in early aughts you know yeah. it's, a, it's a weird I mean I bet if you have a really good agent they can get you into any show you want yeah probably but but yeah I was listening to there was an NPR news story about this production oh okay that I listened to in preparation oh, I was doing a lot of preparation but... today at work thank you um <laughs> and... sorry Bonnie no she yeah. anyway <laughs> um so and that the woman interviewing Stokes you know he wanted to do this musical for a long time. Oh, I, this, I believe that. Yeah. This has nothing to do with Mary Elizabeth because um, she's dead to me now. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but the, they brought up 9-11, which, you know, 
because that yeah, would have just happened. Yeah. Happened in 2001, obviously. Um, and he said, when I first wanted to do this show, it was before 9/11 even happened, and. The reason I wanted to do the show is because I was looking at the world and thinking, wow, there's a lot of fear and hatred and paranoia and xenophobia going around our worlds. And then, then singing the song The Impossible Dream, it seems like every time I look at the news, it, it resonates with something else. It resonated with 9-11, uh, to run where the brave dare not go, when the space shuttle disintegrated on re-entry, to reach the unreachable stars, Every time something happens in the world, it seems like it resonates with the show and the this, this song even more. Just, I think for me, it was like, I mean, not that I was going into, I don't really remember, but it's an escapist piece. You know, it allows you to like kind of just get into his shoes and like hope for the best for him mm-hmm. um, and really want windmills to be giants and right. to believe in knights and, and errantry. And wash basins to yeah. be invisible and And, and that a, a house, like a, a scullery maid could be, you know, your princess. Like, that's fine, mm-hmm. right? And so I thought that was kind of interesting to hear. That okay. Not that that was an impotence for to continue to do the show. It was always going to happen. But that, you know, a reminder as New York audiences or people in New York, like, there's still something fairly fresh on their minds, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and to be allowed to just go to the theater. And I th- I'm sure that was the case with a lot of things, you know, at the right. time. So. Yeah, oh, I mean, it, was, it was pervasive, absolutely, was the, uh, and it was everywhere. It was omnipresent, it was in the air, and it was on everyone's lips. It's funny, this show, that never, I don't even think that crossed my mind when I saw it, um, That, but it would pervade everything. And I wonder how much it affected the show's kind of box office, because it's neither escapist, in the way like hairspray, right? It's is. not a fun. I mean, hairspray touches on a lot of you know important things, but it's a fun show. At it's the a end fun, of the day, it's a fun, fun show. show. Yeah. yeah, bright with, dancing with a nine-minute closing number that repeats. Everyone should dance it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of fun, but it's neither escapist in that way nor political in a way that would have also been popular, right? Kind of at the same time. So, I wonder since it falls kind of firmly in the middle because the original production was a massive massive hit it ran for 2,328 performances mm-hmm. it says here I'm not going to pretend I knew that off the top of my head and is one of the longest running shows in Broadway history mm-hmm. I mean it's a huge it was a phenomenon those songs you, those two songs you mentioned are kind of American standards of American theater right um, and it's not surprising to me in any way that Brian Stokes Mitchell the minute he had even before he had any clout was like someday I'm going to play Don Quixote on Broadway, like mm-hmm. that's a part for him, and he's a, he's a baritone. He's a you know strong presence on yeah. stage. It's a, and he's excellent in the performance. Yeah. But I have to say that even after listening to the recording again, after you, that's what you said you wanted to do, it, it's still like it, the the score doesn't stick with me that's in a way so, that other shows and do. People Songs say that. do. Yes. But, but like I said, and there are moments in it that I love, but the score doesn't doesn't I don't it doesn't hang with me in exactly the same way. Hmm. So it's interesting that it hangs. With you, to, to me, like as somebody who I, I think we have very similar tastes. I mean, it's, it's theaters, we've discussions we've had, and time we've worked together. It, yeah. it just feel like not not exactly one to one, no, but no, pretty no. similar taste. But I mean, when you have, I mean, I think again, it's at the time in your life when something comes to you, mm-hmm. and that's you have, and it connects with you, and then you can't get rid of that, right? Yeah, so, oh, absolutely. Yeah, my thirteen to fifteen year old self. Like that was something. When that you would, are, I think, ready to re- like I say, you're right? Ready that's to where I'm yeah. ready. You know, you're thinking, looking at it as, oh, and you're going through changes and whatever. Um, that's something that 
that show was something that stuck with me. But you were past changes. Right. I was all set. I was in my early 20s. I you was You were just done. jaded and angry cooking. and thought everyone should just screw off. Right. right? But so, I love Brian Stokes Mitchell. Yeah. And I yeah, mean, he's great was, in everything he does. Right. I'm, not, yes, absolutely. I don't know why I'm knocking on wood. Not well, no, because you don't you don't want to say things like that. Right. But I mean, I hear his voice on the Ragtime cast recording and I'm like, oh, yeah. can you just sing to me every night? everything you great. do yes no. can i sing those songs no i'm not and racially okay to sing great that's fine i'll he, do it anyway he's great and you can sing it in your car you're yeah. allowed with the windows rolled up um he's i mean he's also great in another show that i'm not a huge fan of but that he did the revival of which is kiss me kate he, that's he what is, made him big yeah he is a really i'm he, also not a huge fan of kiss me kate but i think i haven't seen i didn't great. see that production i didn't see that production either but i saw the local the, mm. re- the revival with Shakespeare. I don't know if you call it a revival, but the production at Shakespeare's, Shakespeare's theater company. Shakespeare theater company's production. And I yes. was very enthralled and enjoyed that yeah. thoroughly. That's a fun show, but it's not a, I mean, it's, again, that score doesn't stick with me But if you can have fun for all. two hours or whatever, two and a half hours, whatever the length of the yeah, show is, that's then true. that's consistently, yeah. that's pretty good. That's true. That is a fun, that's, yeah. a, that's a good, That's a, there are worse ways to spend an evening. Right, certainly. right, right. So when... When when you saw the production and you had you bought the CD at the show, which is a great feeling, I have to say, and I, it's something I, I also could be a lie. I may not have purchased it there, but we're gonna go. But with we're gonna that. go with that. Yeah. We're gonna print the legend because um, yeah. I also I, that is something. That I also bought all those souvenir books. Oh yeah, or I didn't buy too. them. My parents, Your parents did. Right. Yes. So I have a stack of those back in Connecticut. Do you still buy CDs? No. For anything? Okay. But yeah. I don't really buy music either. Okay. I'm weird. You stream. Stream, yeah. yeah. And people have to tell me what to listen to. Unless it's like, oh, download Hamilton. Great, I'll do that. Right. Because that's a, that's a worthwhile investment. But if someone's like, oh, I heard of this artist called Kitten Paws. Right. I'm like, I don't. Well, I'll, then I go to YouTube. That's what yeah, I Yeah, and I'll and just stream it because yeah. I'll never need enough Kitten Paws, you know. <laughs> no, that might change your life. Yeah. The only, the only CDs I buy are cast albums. Yeah. And I buy them because... They're the only ones I'm going to listen to from top to bottom. They're right. the only kind where I put in an album and be like, I'm going to listen to this whole album. Darn it. I just remembered. I think I had mine in my car the whole time, and I could have played it. I was so worried that I didn't listen to it enough to talk about it. But <laughs> I guess we're talking about it enough, so we it's talk, fine. Well, no, it's absolutely. It's, you know. You, you, it, what I'm more interested in, though, is that the thing you're talking about, like, not so much being exact, but the memory of how this the show made you feel. Yeah. Because it's certainly, it, well, it, it resonated with you in a serious In a serious way. You know, I think it is. I mean, seeing. So I see a lot of theater now um, for work. I would imagine you do. And for other, you know. Right. And for fun. Sure. Right. Um, But and, you know, going. There's just something about the entire package of the experience as a person for like as a youth or whatever. I keep saying youth. That's a stupid. As a kid. And you're going from, you know, we have to drive 40 minutes to New Haven. We have to wait get on the commuter rail to go to New York. You know, is it packed? Is it not packed? You know, mm-hmm. where do we get our, like my family, we live and die around meals. So it's like, we have to have breakfast. Where's our lunch going to be? Mm-hmm. You know, is the show at matinee? Like, where are we going to have dinner? You know, are we going to go back that night? And so, and we're sweating because it's winter and it's hot. Right, and it's cold but outside, but it's hot are inside. Are you dressed up a little bit? No. No. Okay. I mean, you have to be just economical with your clothing when you're going to New right. York. Right. No, I'm yeah. especially if you're not. St- we don't stay overnight typically. Right. That's why I, th- um, I figured based on the story. So you're just like, if it was, I don't know, you're in your boots and your your jeans or whatever. I mean, we never look like schmucks, but no. But you, you're um, dressed to travel. You're to not travel. Yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, and it's just that, I mean, for me, the anticipation of getting to go to New York um, and to package the whole city as an experience, because, you know, that's where I wanted to live when I grew up. Right? Mm. Um, and that's because that's where theater is and yeah. that's where Broadway is. And I want to be on Broadway. And so I want to see what actors on Broadway like this is their life to perform. Like, no, they live in a smaller apartment than I live in right now. And <laughs> they, they absolutely do. Um, yeah. So it's just it was just, you know, that joyful misconception of what I imagine the day to day of a typical Manhattanite, you know, was, mm-hmm. although it wasn't busking around New York with your parents, it was still like. It's just something. How much would you get out into the city, or would you be pretty much just? We would pretty much Times Square, you know, um, because that's all we kind of knew. Right. Well, if you're only there for the afternoon, yeah, and there's not much time. We like had our standard. We knew where like Joe Allen's was and other restaurants Mm -hmm. that are run. Like, and even to this day, like I know where every Starbucks is in New York, unless they've added new ones. I'm sure they have. Those are the places that you could use the bathroom for free. Ah, uh, you know, like you yeah, need to. Yeah. And if you, you don't have that. a hotel or you're not going to a show for another hour and a half, and you've had how many grande lattes and water? What's so funny about New York to me is that you every it takes you a lot of time going there before you realize they don't have everything all the time. Like no. if you walk around trying to find a place to eat after a Broadway show or before even. You know, walking up and down Seventh Avenue, you're not going to find anything. There's mm-hmm. nothing that isn't chain e or sort of touristy yeah. and packed. You have to go out. It took, it took us years. Go to Ninth. Go over to Ninth. You walk over to Ninth Avenue. There's tons of places right. to eat. But you sort of have this misconception about New York when you come to it as a younger person that no, no, well, just walk and I'll find something. Right. And that's not true everywhere. Right. Like if you're in the village, that might be true, but it's not true like up on the in the uh, in the theater district. You're just never in Chelsea. You're just especially not in Chelsea. There's nowhere to eat in Chelsea. Yeah. Which is where people live. So, yeah, I, it's all part of the same package. It's all part of that right, dream. Right, right. And then of, like you come out of this show where you see this male vehicle cuz I don't I can't recall if I'd ever seen a show with I mean, this is silly because how many shows have male vehicles these days? Like <laughs> all of them, right? Right. But I mean, this was I think the first big one for me. Um, and mm-hmm. he was so phenomenal and, you know, he's so unlike anyone else on that stage too. I mean, it, right. when, Which you, is when you say male vehicle, casting, you know, it sounds like the show has kind of crept into, into your psyche as the, the part of this whole, this whole package, this whole experience. Yeah. So, like I said before, just the message behind it is just so powerful for anyone who's, you know, has a dream. Right. Mm-hmm. And like. How do you accomplish that, you know, and what do you think you're doing to get there? And, um, and as you say in the, the, the message of the show being what it is, it is funny that the lyric goes, you know, he says to dream the impossible dream, to fight the unbeatable foe, to bear with unbearable sorrow like that. But then the next line is, this is my quest. Like that is his quest. His quest is simply to do that. It's not to find the solution to these problems. Right. It's to endure right. almost in this kind of In like, hopes of... Well, in hopes of what? So that's that's the question. You know, I think in hopes of you know, coming to peace with that that tr- that trek, that journey, that endurance of a lifetime was worth it. You know. Okay. And you can't get that retrospect until you're dying, right? Right. And that's what he does. I mean, he leaves these behind these people who, I mean, in the play within the play that come to an a understanding of oh, this man's life was something to strive for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe his suffering and his um, inability to actually accomplish whatever his dream was is something that I can bear as my cross, you know. Mm-hmm. And 
And I think that's, I mean, for me, it, hopefully you, you know, I just heard this thing on NPR this morning, people having, or maybe it was the other morning about midlife crisis. And I'm far from a midlife crisis. Right. Um, but you're just past your quarter life crisis. Right. And they're just talking about do, what is a crisis. And like a lot of people, ha- I forget the exact term, but it's like a midlife bump or something. Not sure. actually a crisis, uh-huh. you know. Like, so, for example, one caller was like, oh, they lost their job. Well, you could lose your job at any point. That just, that was a catalyst that happened in your midlife to propel you right. to, like, make new decisions or to have to rethink things. Um, and, you know, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I think it sort of relates to the show a little bit. Like, you... Well, what you're speaking of, what a crisis this, of that variety to me is, is really an awakening. It's the moment where right. you kind of wake up, look around and go... Or you, the oh. opportunity to be awakened. Sometimes you don't see it as that, and you right. just you're sorrow, you're pitying yourself, or you're just not looking. You know, I'm often reminded of like this Buzzfeed article about st- celebrities who didn't make it famous till past their 30s. You know, right. and I'm like, sometimes you're like, well, I want to be famous now, or I want to be where I need to be now. But that's not your journey. You know, maybe you right. make it there, and that's great, and you're a Zac Efron, and you have, you know, abs, and you're in movies. And that's awesome for you. And damn you. (laughs) But you have to say, okay, that's not where I am. What am I still, is this where I, as long as your job isn't preventing you from going where you need to go. Like if you're still able to write or do whatever you want on the side, that's awesome. You know, focus on that. But we got to pay the bills, you know. Well, this is great, Nick. Thank you so much for yeah, coming no, this down was a lot and rapping with me about, about New York I theater. hope any of it's good. Gosh. Oh, I think it's all good. If it's not good, I'll cut it out. It's good. no big deal. Um, how can people find you on the social media if you're um, interested? Are you on Twitter? Oh, gosh. I have a Twitter, and I tweet. I live tweet some things, like a major events. Okay. Um, like the Oscars or something. What is your Twitter handle? It's at Nicholas Vargas. At so Nicholas it's not Vargas. too difficult. Um, you follow me. Do I? Yeah. Okay. But I don't tweet very often because I forget that it's there, and then I get angry that it's there because I should be using it. So it's kind of a vicious cycle. Okay. I Instagram. That, I have that a, I follow. You I have on. a rabbit. She doesn't Instagram as much as she should because that's my fault. Oh. Um, but at Violet Beauregard, she's uh, all over the Instagrams. <laughs> very cute. Um, yeah. Nice. And then people. Have and what's me on coming Facebook up at uh, in in imagination stage? Yeah. So we have a show on our stage right now. Because it's July, right? Um, it's a collaboration with the Washington Ballet of The Little Mermaid. All right. So that's really awesome. If you could check that out, because um, this is Septim Weber. He's the artistic director. His last ballet in DC, at least as of oh, now. Oh wow! Because he's taken off doing something else, I guess. Okay. Yeah, and then I'm also doing a show for Fringe. Ah, for Capital Fringe. Yes, and the current working Starts title. Starts in a few weeks. Yes, um, is. Once Upon a Bedtime, a performance for ages five to forever after. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, I came up with that. It's an opera uh, for children and families. Um, I think we're saying, you know, four and up. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is also an original dance piece attached to it. And this is through Silver Finch Arts Collective. And you can find out more about that at capitalfringe.org. Yeah. All right. Well, fantastic. Well, thanks for coming on down. Thanks, Patrick. This was a lot of fun. The original cast was recorded at the Media Production Center at American University. Special thanks to Jeffrey Madison, Tom Fish, Imani Mular, and the tireless staff of students who man the front desk. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on Twitter at UnknownPenguin. 
You can email us at originalcastpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your questions, comments, concerns, and public admissions of guilt. Subscribe to the original cast on iTunes, and while you're there, please give us a comment and a rating so other people can find the show. My thanks to Nick Vargas for coming down and talking to me today. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. I've got you to lean on. We've got you.